Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are going back to the golf well again. People want golf. People love golf. We are going to talk golf again. U.S. Open preview this week with our golf guy, Dan Martini. That's coming up later in the show. We will break down whether or not Brooks Kepka, who's won the last two U.S. Opens, will make it a three-peat out at Pebble Beach this week. The baseball beat is going to be here. Well, half it is. Andy Sarbolini was supposed to be on with us. Something came up. Life happens. It's okay. Will Schneiderhan is still here. We are going to dive into everything with the Subway Series, which is going to be all in one day because we had a doubleheader tomorrow after the game got rained out tonight. That's coming up later in the show. Also, stay tuned to the end of this week's two-minute drill, where I'm going to wrap up the French Open. We have new champions. Well, a new champion, because Rafa Nadal won again. Break down that at the end of the show. But stay tuned for this week's opening tip. We're going to talk about the Jets hire the GM. And it looks like they got it right, right after this. The Jets finally got their guy in Joe Douglas, the former Eagles executive who is now their new general manager, the guy that Adam Gase wanted all along, and that hiring early on was hailed by a lot of people around the league who think that the Jets got a rising star in the executive ranks and actually someone who many people thought would be a very in-demand candidate for general manager openings next offseason. The Jets get a jump on that, and they get a guy who knows Adam Gase very well, has worked with him before, has a great relationship with him. And let's face it, that's something that's been missing from the Jets' front office and coaching ranks over the last few years. They finally have two people that are on the same page. And credit the Jets for going hard after Douglas, because I'm told that he didn't make this easy. He rejected several of their offers, and eventually they upped their ante to a six-year deal and made it clear to him that he was their guy, and they didn't stop until they got their man. All right, that was SNY's Ralph Vacchiano breaking down the hire of former Eagles executive Joe Douglas as the Jets' new general manager, replacing the fired Mike McCagnin. Let's give you a little bit of a resume on Joe Douglas. He was the VP of player personnel for the Eagles. He got a six-year deal from the Jets. They were paying him about $3 million a year. He spent 14 years with the Baltimore Ravens organization, learning scouting under Ozzie Newsome and Phil Savage, two great guys to learn from. He spent a year in Chicago where he worked with Gase, at Jet head coach Adam Gase, who was the OC at that point. Before landing in Philadelphia, we're going to learn how to work the cap under Howie Roseman, which is incredible because that guy is a genius at it. He's helped build three Super Bowl winners. Ravens 2000, not as much a big role there. Played a big role with the Ravens in 2012 and the Eagles in 2017. So, good hire. And Will Schneiderhan, who is a big Jet fan and the unofficial co-host of this podcast, happened to run into the studio early, so we're going to talk to Will about Gase and this Douglas hire. Will, how you doing? Good, good. A uh, little raspy and a little coffee, but other than that, <coughs> I'm feeling good. All right, so let's get into everything here with this hire. So, When you heard that they got Joe Douglas, what was your reaction? Uh, excited, yeah. right? Like you said, it looks like... They got it right, as Vacchiano said. It looks like they got it right. Um, it's just <laughs> you're just happy to see something looks competent, right? After a tumultuous, somewhat of a tumultuous offseason where Gase kind of looked like he was going to burn the place to the ground. Yeah, it looked like it was going down the dumpster fire road for a little bit there. And you know what? I'm excited because for the first time in a long time, they actually have a qualified candidate for this job because mm-hmm. John Idzik, the a couple mm-hmm. two cycles ago, was literally just. The last guy who got who was qualified for this job, he ended up getting because no one else wanted to work with Rex Ryan. McCagden at least had a scouting background, but he didn't really have a thorough resume. I gave him like a C on the candidate scale. This guy, A plus candidate, mm-hmm. and the Jets never get those guys. No, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like one of those 
you know, like, tre- not trendy, but you know, it's like a trendy hire, right? Yep. Like, he, he wasn't a traditional guy. Um, <clears throat> he'd, I, I just love the fact that he's learned from, like, Newsom and stuff. Just guys that you're only going to learn good things being around people like that. And I think just if he can bring that level of expertise and bring that to a te- to this team in this market, I'm just super excited because, you know, you just want, you feel like you don't have to worry about, like, a stupid contract, you know, bringing in a Darrell Revis post prime give him whatever you know McHagnan gave him when he came back and so on and I'm excited I think it's something it's it's like a breath of fresh air yeah it is a breath of fresh air and the Jets gave him the commitment that he deserved Mm -hmm. six years so this is not gonna be a two and done this guy's gonna have time to build the vision out and build this thing and this is a guy who's come from organizations that win the Ravens win all the time the Eagles just won the Super Bowl two years ago so and they're always in the playoff hunt. That's the kind of yeah. stability you want in this front office. I like the Ravens one specifically too, because yeah. it's it's constantly you think the Ravens are done, yeah. but they they draft extremely well. They spend their money extremely wisely outside of Joe Flacco, maybe, but still <laughs> they win. They've won. They're going to continue to win, and hopefully that's something they can do in New York. Yeah. So obviously he knows Gase. Gase apparently made him his number one target. Yeah. They had a good relationship with Chicago. How important is it? Do you think that he has a good relationship with Adam Gase going into this set setup here at the oh, Jets? Oh, massive! Right? I mean, yeah. I feel like that's like you said all the other things, but I think I feel like that in alone is what makes people breathe. Like, oh, okay, maybe this is a bit better because he knows this guy, right? Gase has been painted as like this insane egomaniac. Man. Um, so he knows him. Um, doesn't know him as a head coach. It's been a while since they've been together. But still, you know, it's a guy who knows him, um, someone who can work with him, and I think that is a huge asset. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about this, because in the past we had – the last two times we really had shotgun marriages. They were married, yep, yep. Because Edzik inherited Rex Ryan. He wanted no part of him. We just saw basically in yep. four team, or basically sabotage the team, refusing to spend money in free agencies. He wanted to get his own coach, and then it ended up backfiring on him. And McCagan and Bowles were nice guys. They knew each other, but they didn't really want to work together. Nope. They made it work the best they could, but they would see there's a clear disconnect. Like, these two guys are in lockstep together. They're going to want to work together, have the same sort of idea of what they want to do to build the team, and they are more qualified for their jobs than the last pairing was, which is a big encouragement. Yeah, it'll be interesting, right, to see, like, what next offseason and stuff holds yep. because, you know, you just kind of wish – they didn't give McCagnan the offseason because maybe not that he had a bad one, but things you know it would have been different. I think, yeah. but regard hey, I'm not whatever. I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see what this team could do, and I, th- I feel like there's like I said it before, it's just a breath of fresh air, a new feeling over at One Jet Drive, and you know I think this is finally you know I just like the dedication that they're we got the quarterback last year, we got Darnold, and it, to me this says we're you know we're buying into him, we're buying into this team, and let's go. Yeah, so what are some things, real quick, before we move on to other fun things, what are some things that you hope he will do right away, Joe Douglas? What would you like to see him do? I, I just like the idea of, you know, endorsing the guys, right? Like, I always felt like with Darnold specifically, you know, he was the guy, but it always just kind of felt like they were throwing him out there, figure it out on your own. Now I want to see, this is our guy. Obviously, we know that. I'm not saying that we don't know that, but endorse him, give him the confidence, Give your head coach confidence, right? Like, we didn't, like uh, as Mets fans, that's one thing that drives us nuts, oh, right? We'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> but that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where I'm going with that, where it's endorse the guys in the room and, you know, br- bring that message of maybe not come get us, but <laughs> something <laughs> of, you know, hey, this is something we're going to build here. And just, I, you know, say the right things, endorse the players, give them confidence, 
And just don't bite off more than you can chew. Yeah. Again, don't say come get us when you're fighting for third place. <laughs> yeah. My thing I just want to see him do is obviously he's done a great job in pro free agency with the Eagles, with the Ravens, filling out rosters to help find players. Like, fill some of these holes that they have right now. Like, go get a corner, <laughs> please. Go find a center that you could, the way he's not Jonathan Harrison potentially <laughs> ruining the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, yeah, like the value players, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, I, and because, right, I mean, the Ravens like build themselves off of that. You know, it's always like they draft well and they find those guys who fit, right? Yeah. And, yep. yeah, I would love to see that, too. I definitely agree. And look at the Eagles. The Eagles, I mean, they bring in all these veterans. All, they bring Chris <laughs> yeah. Long, LeGarrette Blunt. These well, how guys about their cornerbacks yeah. last year? Everybody was decimated, and yet somehow they still found guys who could play the NFL level. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, this is stuff that I feel confident now that this guy will be able to do these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Whereas McCagden, he had some big hits, but he had a lot of misses. Yeah, you know, he had his... Robbie Andersons, but he also had his Christian Hackenbergs and his, you know, Nathan or is it Nathan? Yeah, Nathan Shepard. Like we don't know yet. I can't. We'll throw him in there, but still, yeah, a lot of hits, a lot of a lot of hits and misses, and um, I, I'm hoping there are far more misses, and we actually get some middle round draft selections that are capable of playing in this league now. And again, the thing I'll go back to again. He has six years and $3 million a year, which means that the Johnson's finally got serious here and said, you know what, we're going to let this man build his plan. We're not, they're not going to pay him t- like $18 million not to be the general manager after two years. So. Agreed. Yep. And, that, you know, it's all about building it. You know, the Pats might be coming out, coming down, not this year, but soon. And yeah, it is, there's a, you know, build your empire. You know, and I'm, I'm into that. I, I like that. It's, it's not a, they're not saying here's two years and prove it. It's six years and build it. Yeah. Six years and build it. We will see how it gets built. I'm going to take a break. Will's going to take, go take a lap. Go get, go get yeah. some water get to deal with the raspy voice. When we come back, we're going to go to the golf with Dan Martini right after this. Oh. It's a Kepka coronation. All right, and we are back on the Just and the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard was Brooks Kepka winning the PGA Championship last month, courtesy of CBS Sports' Jim Nance. Kepka has now won four majors in the last two years, two U.S. Opens, two PGA Championships. In fact, he has won the last two U.S. Opens, and the U.S. Open is where we're going this week. Back by popular demand, more golf talk with our golf guy for the podcast, Dan Martini, a golf industry professional. Dan, welcome. How are you? Hey, Mike. How are you? Glad to be back. Uh, another awesome time to talk about golf, so let's do this. Yeah, in case people are wondering, the golf is, is received very well by the audience, so I'm, I give people what they want. People want golf, they're getting golf. I love it. I heard that there, the statistics are in. People want to listen to more golf talk, and I'm happy to go on and on about it. We can talk for hours if you want. All right, let's, let's go into the U.S. Open this week. So uh, This week, it's at Pebble Beach this year. Very famous course. It's hosting its sixth U.S. Open, celebrating its 100th year anniversary. So, why can you tell us about this course, some of its history? Sure. I mean, Pebble Beach, it's one of those, you know, just a handful of courses that any golfer would say in their lifetime they would love to play. It's on the short list, uh, one of the meccas of golf. Um, Pebble Beach, obviously built back in 1910 it's it's basically known as one of those places where it's it's a public golf course anybody can play it but it's not going to be cheap uh and you know the the views the course layout it's it's one of the most famous in all of golf um it's known historically just for being a particularly short course 
which is something we can get into. I mean, it's kind of rare for U.S. Open, which is always known for having courses that are extremely long with high rough. Um, Pebble Beach is a different sort of test. Um, although it is really short, it's going to play just over 7,000 yards this week. Um, it, it, you know, it's tough for other reasons. The angles on this course are absolutely critical, and placement off the tee box so that you have a good approach is is key to victory for sure. Um, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting thing because you know when you look at the U.S. Open historically here for the last decade, uh, there's only been one venue that's been shorter um, in terms of total yard yardage, and that was Marion in 2013. So we're going to get a different test, um, and, and I think just the, the timing here in June uh, means that the, the greens are going to be firm and fast. Uh, there's obviously going to be plenty of wind, which you'll know it's right here on the Monterey Peninsula. Uh, it's, it's on the Pacific Ocean, so you know you'll get these stunning views, but what you're going to deal with is a little bit of, I think there was a great Jack Nicholas quote, which was, um, Pebble Beach would be an incredible easy course if there was no wind. Problem is, there's always wind. So that's going to be a, a, a key factor this week as well. Uh, little known fact, actually, that Pebble Beach has the smallest greens, uh, you know, in terms of actual yardage on tour. Uh, so that means that you're going to have to be, once again, very, very accurate. Uh, but, you know, this, it's going to be, it, it's one of those courses that just every time we're there, it's, it's a fantastic setup for the fans. It's great to watch on TV. The Pro-Am has been there 73 times. Uh, it's the sixth U.S. Open now, and it, it's just one of those venues. There's a reason why people want to play it and why, of course, you know, ter- major tournaments keep coming back to it. So, you know, number 18, number 18 it's, uh, it's one of the most iconic finishing holes in all of golf. Um, and there's just so many things you can say about Pebble Beach. We can go on and on, but but all of those factors make for an excellent week uh, for the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's going to be a fun this week. So what kinds of players do you project will do well at Pebble Beach? What, like, what kind of games do you need to have to do well on this course? It's really interesting. So, so obviously, I, I, I personally feel like approach and wedge game is going to be key. Um, greens and regulation is, is a really, really important stat. Um, and also strokes gained approach to green is, is another really important stat. So when you look at some of the guys that are leading in those categories, guys like Sergio, Henrik Stenson, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Matt Kuchar, all of those guys are all in the top ten with a, you know strokes gained approach to green. Uh, so that means that they are sticking their irons on you know in, right in spots to kind of minimize the amount of strokes they're going to take from you know 150 yards out. And then greens and regulation. So just, you know, basically when you go from tee shot to fairway, fairway to green, um, you know, that's your greens and regulation stat, which is giving you the best opportunity to, to make birdies. Um, Tiger's actually leading that category with Kuchar, JT, uh, Justin Thomas, and Rory McIlroy also in the top ten. So, you know, if you put on Golf Channel right now, you can actually see they're showing Tiger Woods. He's getting some short game work in. Um, it's kind of interesting just to see what he's going to do this week. I guess we'll get into that a little bit, hopefully, but um, you know, just just thinking about what it takes, you don't need to be a big bomber off the tee to win at Pebble Beach, which is interesting because the U.S. Open's kind of known for that. So I'm not sure exactly who is who stands out from the pack, but all of those guys that I just mentioned are leading in the categories on tour this year that you would basically on paper would lean towards that they have a, a they'd be the favorites so 
All right, so that's definitely something to get to. We'll get to the players in just a second, but one more thing I want to touch on is the fact that the PGA does not run this event. This is administered by the U.S. Golf Association. So what's the big difference in how USGA runs their tournament, specifically the U.S. Open? Yeah, so there's there's a few little things. Um, the USGA um, it obviously is the, the major rules uh, organization for uh, North America. Um, so the U.S. and Canada, they um, this is their tournament. Uh, they get the opportunity to have some influence uh, over the course setup. Um, obviously, the yardage we talked about a little bit, but basically, there's a couple little things to point out. So they've they've changed um, this, like the second hole, for example. It's it's a 502 yard hole. Uh, it's normally set up as a par five. They're making it into a longer par four. Um, it's kind of known that, that Pebble Beach, like the first seven holes, like actual number one through seven, are are, are somewhat easy. I, I wouldn't say you would say anything is particularly easy out there, but in terms of scoring, um, the first seven kind of set you up. And then it, it basically from there, everybody's on, you're on your own. It depends on how you're hitting it that day. You really want to take advantage of the first seven. The U.S. Open, the USGA will, will definitely put um, – some interesting tweaks in there. There's a new tee box on the ninth. Uh, it's going to make it play 500, I think 520 plus yards uh, as a par four as well. Uh, it, it's it's along the stretch. There's there's iconic sets of holes. As you're watching the telecast, I, I can almost guarantee this week that they will talk about the course layout and how it came to be in its current mold and what the USGA did from a modification standpoint. But you really don't want to tweak too much with Pebble Beach because the conditions and the setup um, are are hard enough. Uh, some of the par fives on the on the last nine are some of the hardest par fives in all of golf. But you also have the shortest hole in in all of uh, professional golf in terms of uh, you know the PGA Tour. Uh, it's one of the I think it's like a hundred yard par three. So if they test you in different ways out there. You have to be able to play the elements, play the wind. Um, accurate lines. You need to make sure that you, you're, you're putting yourself um, in a position where you can really attack the pin but not go too far past or leave it too far short because you'll see that the greens are so small and so narrow that you're just in, you, could put, you, you could go after a pin and then seriously regret it. So the USGA will have fun with that, um, with the pin placements as well. So keep an eye on that early on, uh, on Thursday. Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Let's go into the golfers a little bit. Let's start with the man of the hour now, Brooks Kepka, who won the PGA last month. He won at Shinnecock last year in our neck of the woods up in New York, and he won at Aaron Hills at the U.S. Open in 2017. So he's won the last two U.S. Opens. So what are your expectations for Kepka coming into Pebble Beach this week? I mean, how can you not say he's the he's the favorite? I mean, obviously he's, we'll, we'll talk maybe at some point about the betting favorite, but you know, Kepka is the guy. Um, it seems like he just, I was listening to a, a local station down here in Florida and, and, uh, they were talking, they love, they have the, a couple golf hours and everybody seems, you know, the golf analysts all seem to say the same thing. It's Brooks goes into a different mode. It's like a beast mode whenever a major is on the line and it's his mindset totally changes. Um, you know, you'll see it, you see it in the results, right? Cause I mean, just this past week, um, Rory McIlroy is gonna, you know, shoot the course, you know, the the round record, gonna basically break 60 going into the final round uh, late yesterday at the RBC Canadian Open, and uh, and Brooks, you know, is tied for 50th, and he just 
you know, a couple under par. It's it, it it doesn't necessarily add up. So so Brooks is a kind of guy, I guess. When when the majors are on the line, he really can focus and step up. And and when it's just a standard you know PGA Tour event, which obviously all of the events are fantastic, great opportunities to build your brand and build your repertoire and have you know fantastic purses on the line. Um, it's just you know Brooks really has this focus, I guess, right now that that is, you know, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be known as just that horse during the majors, and uh, maybe not put as much into it the other weeks. Um, I can't speak for him. I, I know he he's a serious competitor. He probably never wants to lose, but I could definitely say when the majors on the line, something changes in him. Uh, you know, he's 11th in in approach to green. Strokes gained. He's 12th in tee to green strokes gained. So those are two categories that make you think, okay, so he's right there at the top end of scoring um, average when it comes to those key categories we talked about that are good at Pebble Beach. So he's got it. He's got the game to do it. You know, everybody says, oh, Brooks is a is a bomber. He has to see super strong. He's got the flexibility. He's going to be great. But people are also kind of forgetting, you know, watch his watch his mid range game, watch his iron game, and he's a great putter. <laughs> um, you know, the stats might not show it, but you know he he's got he's got the short game to win there as well. So I think it makes sense for him to be the betting favorite, and uh, and and uh, you know it's hard to pick against him this week. Yeah, the thing you brought about the intensity in the majors bringing in better, I think is interesting because it reminds me of something I read in Sports Illustrated this week about Draymond Green, how Steve Kerr calls him a 16-game player because in the regular season, he does a bunch of things, but the numbers don't really make him a great player. But in the playoffs, he brings the energy. His game goes up like 50 knots. It sounds similar to what Kepka's doing at the majors. You know, in definite, I, I can see that. Um, I think that Brooks has the ability to go out every week and and play and dominate the field. He's he's got the game to do it. It's not easy to win on the PGA Tour. It's not easy uh, to to put these performances out. So, you know, right now he's in the prime of his game, and I, I you know I, I can only speak that at this point it, you'd be crazy not to think that he's going to come out and just do it again. So. You know, he's done it the last two years. He, he he continues to come out in these in these majors and just dominate. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to thinking he's doing the same. Yeah, I definitely buy that. Let's go to somebody else who had a good history at this course, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods back in two thousand, record setting fifteen stroke win at the US Open here. Do you think Tiger has a good chance this week to win at Pebble Beach and get another major? You know, Tiger's an interesting one for this week because it's almost like Everybody wants the story to continue. So he goes out at the PGA Championship. You know, he got cut. He didn't. He didn't play particularly great. He maybe he had the the Masters hangover. Maybe he didn't get enough rounds in between the two events. Um, he came out and he played. People are you know anybody who hasn't been following so closely. He came out and he, he finished top ten at Memorial at Jack's tournament, um, and he actually played really well there. So. I think right now his game is kind of tuned up for this. Um, you know, he's he's dominated this course in, in the past, so you, you've got to believe in him. Uh, he still holds, as you mentioned, the the record for the largest margin of victory in PGA Tour history. So, um, you know, the only thing that's interesting to me is when was the last time that Tiger played, you know, competitively at Pebble Beach? Uh, you know, he obviously had the injury history. There were a couple years where his schedule didn't necessarily fit in. So it has been a considerable amount of time since he's played 
competitive at Pebble Beach, but once again, he's the kind of guy who only needs a you know a couple practice rounds, and then he's he when he knows he has dominated a course, he's got he's just got that you know special talent to say I'm going to do it again, and so he could come out of nowhere as well and be leading you know going into the weekend, and nobody would be surprised. So. Tiger, Brooks, uh, a lot of these guys that that we keep saying major after major, um, I hate to just rinse, repeat, but they're the ones that are playing the best when, when these majors are on the line right now. Okay, one more guy I want to get to before we go into the odds a little bit is uh, Phil Mickelson, who has come so, so close so many times to win the U.S. Open. It's the one thing he doesn't have to get the career Grand Slam. Do you think Phil has a shot here to get that title finally and complete this career slam? So, so Phil won the Pebble Beach Pro-Am earlier this year. And, you know, so obviously he's, you know, fresh in his mind, he knows that he can play well at Pebble Beach. Um, in the past, I think he's he's won at Pebble Beach, I think five times in his career history, um, all at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. But he hasn't necessarily been playing great lately. Um, if you look at just the last few starts, uh, he got cut at Wells Fargo. He finished tied for 71st at the PGA, and then he got cut at Memorial. So if you're going just off of how his game is trending right now, I'm going to say that he, he just hasn't tuned up. But I did see on social media that he was out at Pebble last week, so he's clearly been out there practicing, ready to go. He really wants it. He really wants to get that monkey off his back and finally take home a U.S. Open. He has the experience at Pebble Beach. Maybe he just didn't feel like he needed to uh, put so much pressure on himself uh, to play going you know, a ton leading into this event. But I can say that if, if ever there was a venue that was set up for Phil to play well and, you know, Look, time is is the biggest enemy, right? So the more years that go on, the older we get, the less likely you're going to be able to keep up with some of these younger, longer hitters. So Phil, if there was ever a year to do it in the rest of his career, you would say this venue coming off success earlier in the year with plenty of practice time, fully healthy, you know, there there could be a serious Phil charge on Sunday. And how great would that be if you've got Tiger leading going into Sunday, Brooks trailing by maybe just one or two strokes and all of a sudden Phil who's four shots out is just making a charge uh, you know early in the round and you've got Phil and Tiger duking it out like the old days and then you got the young guns like Brooks or maybe Jordan Spieth that are charging from behind them so it could make for a really great Sunday uh, definitely worth the watch I'm, I'm rooting for that scenario that would be a lot of fun that would definitely Fox would be thrilled with that because the range would be through the roof absolutely all right let's Let's go odds a little bit. We always do odds when you're here. So we're going to think of a different take this time, though. So give me a couple of guys you think are being overrated by the odds makers. Sure. So, you know, this is really hard because I love this guy. I love the story. Um, you know, Patrick Cantlay, um, who won the Memorial a couple weeks ago, um, he is going out, I think, at 16-1 to 1 right now. You know, he's got four top tens in his last five starts, including a tied for third at the PGA Championship. But, and so 16 to 1, if you, you know, if you're kind of looking at the list of guys, 16 to 1 is actually pretty, you know, good odds. But, you know, his best finish at Pebble is a tied for 35th. He hasn't played there a ton in his professional career. I don't know about his amateur career or just, you know, too much about his background, how familiar he is with the course. 
but I think 16 to 1 is actually pretty it's almost a little too high um and I don't mean to say this is as overrated because John Rahm obviously has the game to do it but at 25 to 1 I keep picking Rahm in these majors um you know, to to perform, you know, top five, top ten, and he he's always there. But I just don't know right now what's going on from a game standpoint. That I don't. John Rahm needs to have a lead and needs to be putting at an extremely high level to be able to, for me to firmly say this guy's got a chance this week. I think there's other guys whose games fit better this week that. Um, you know, from an odd standpoint, I would say that those two are kind of the. I don't want to say they're overrated. I just say I would steer clear from. Okay, let's go the other direction. Give me give me a couple guys who think are being underrated right now. Sure. I mean, I hate to say this from I don't want to call it underrated either, but I mean, Jordan Spieth at fourteen to one. So let's look at Jordan Spieth here. He's he's got a top ten in his last three starts, including he was also tied for third at the PGA Championship. He won here in twenty seventeen at Pebble Beach. He's also finished tied for seventh and tied for fourth here historically. So he's got great experience at Pebble. His game, everybody's been waiting, right? We've been waiting for now a year and a half for Jordan to pull it back together and get his game right. He's had, you know, obviously, you know, some struggles on the course figuring keeping his driver in play and you know reading reading greens and and you know giving himself chances to make birdies rather than just kind of scrambling to recover um he's finally starting to look like the old jordan again so i would say he's somebody that might be a little bit underrated going into this event um and then i don't think this is also underrated but if anybody watched um and was it saw the round that Rory McIlroy put on yesterday at the RBC Canadian Open. Uh, I, we've always said this: Rory has the ability when he is on. There is nobody that can touch him. His game is that good. And Rory yesterday was just unbelievable. Uh, he made. There were a lot of guys playing very, very well. Webb Simpson, Brant Snedeker, a lot of guys that were that were right up there. That played well enough, you would think, to win a, a tournament any other week. And then there's Rory, seven shots better than them, and making it the entire field just almost not even matter. So Rory's going out at 10-1. to 1. I wouldn't be surprised if that line got a little bit closer to maybe they also put him up there at the 8-1 to 1 with Dustin Johnson and Brooks Koepka. Um, so once again, not necessarily underrated. Um, I'll give you one that's also underrated, though. I like Jason Day. I don't know. He's at 25 to 1. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that it, we've seen this in the past where it doesn't take much for him to find something in his game, zone in on it, and then just put together four really great rounds. So if Jason Day gets off to a good start on Thursday and Friday, don't be shocked if you're seeing him compete for the title as well late on Sunday. So that's another one. Okay, that's some good uh, underrated guys there. Let's go to our tradition, the sleeper. So give me your sleeper guy who you think will have a very good tournament. Okay, this is a guy I love. I just love it because there was a commercial that came out a few years ago for non-golf people listening. But uh, the Sneedicker. Uh, I love Brant Sneedicker. Uh, his actual name is Sneedicker. But um, he's my sleeper this week. He's going out at 50-1. to 1. Um, so good betting odds. Uh, the reason why is he's currently 33rd in the FedEx Cup standings. He's having a pretty good season right now. He's firmly 
put himself in the FedEx Cup playoff race. He won at Pebble Beach, the AT&T Pro-Am, in 2015 and in 2013. So he's got great history at the course. He almost always plays at, the, at AT&T Pebble Beach in February. Um, you know, he's got he, he's he's had a plenty of other finishes in the top 25 in his career as well. So he he understands this course. It sets up well for him because he's not particularly long off the tee, but he's incredibly accurate when his irons are are on, in play. And if anybody has ever watched Brant Snedeker, he's very unique in that he doesn't necessarily, he spends almost zero time. Once he picks his line when he's on the green to go ahead and putt, he gets up to the ball and hits it almost right away. He, he commits to a line, and when that putter is working and he's reading the greens right, and he's historically read these greens extremely well, I think you know, it really makes for a good pick. Um, he also, you know, look, I just I just mentioned it. He finished tied for fourth this past week. Uh, he was right there down the stretch at the Canadian Open. So that means his game is, is he didn't have the anxiety and that stress of being the winner that Rory might face a little bit, some of that little hangover going into the next week. But he also, his game was right there that he's got to be feeling extremely confident in what he and his caddy are doing to, to, to put out a good performance. So he's somebody who's trending with the arrow straight up going into the week. So I would think he'd be better than 50-1. to 1, So that's my deep sleeper of the week. Okay, deep sleeper of the week, Brad Snedeker. I like that one. Last thing, who's your pick to win? Are we going with Brooks again or are you going somewhere else? Uh, you're killing me with this. So I I almost have to start thinking that this in a different way because I've got what my head says, what my heart is saying, and then who's my wild card. So for this week, my head is telling me Brooks Kepka is the guy. Don't mess around with it. He's if he's healthy and he's out there uh, and rested, um, he's going to play extremely well. And with a major on the line, he's going to be in contention. It's Brooks with my head. My heart goes to Rory McIlroy because, to be perfectly honest, he put on such an incredible show yesterday uh, finishing up that tournament. You kind of hope that he stays hot. You, golf is great when Rory and, the, and Brooks and all of these young guns are out there and they're playing well week after week. And um, it's, it's just good for the game to have Rory, who is a fan favorite. He's great with the volunteers. He's great with the people. Yesterday at the press conference, somebody in the crowd had thrown him a Toronto Raptors jersey. So he puts on the jersey, and he just looks at the crowd, and he goes, Toronto in five. So... He, you know, he's just—he's just a great guy, a great person, and uh, so the heart goes out for Rory. And then my wild card is Tiger. How could it not be? Uh, you know, everybody. Ha- there's a. If you're a golf fan, even in the slightest, uh, the casual golf fan is going to go out there and say, "I want to watch Tiger winning a major or coming down the stretch with a chance to win a major tournament." Uh, it's just a fun thing to be a part of because you know you want to tell your friends, you want to tell your family, "Hey, you got to put this on. Tiger's going to win." There's something special about watching Tiger win, uh, whether it's in the FedEx Cup playoffs, you know, a big time tournament on tour or major. It doesn't matter. Just watching Tiger win is always fun. So my wild card is Tiger. And uh, I know those aren't shocking names, but I don't think that that's where we are in the season right now. I think we're getting close to the FedEx Cup playoffs coming in August. Everybody's games are getting tuned up. And, uh, you know, the the best players, the, the cream's rising to the top right now. And um, and that's what you're, what you're seeing here uh, going into the U.S. Open. All right, Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, let, let everybody know how far you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to. 
Sure. So you can follow me at um, Out of Town Fan Pod on Twitter. Uh, Going to be a little interesting here. So I uh, I also am running a podcast, but I've I'm going to be kind of announcing a little bit of a rebrand already on it because there's so many other things that I want to talk about, and um, I wanted to I want my podcast when when I get my thoughts out, I want them to also be in a way that uh, can identify with other people who are looking for fun things to listen to on long drives and uh, and on their way in their morning commutes. So uh, I'll probably by the next time I pop on, uh, probably end of summer as we're as we're gearing up for training camps or whatever. The next time you feel like you want to bring me back on, Mike, I will have a, a, a different different announcement to make. So that should be my fun teaser of the week. That is a good tease. Maybe the time the British Open rolls around, we'll be ready for that. All right. Well, that sounds great. I love it. And, uh, you know, uh, thanks again to all your listeners out there who are uh, tuning in for the golf podcast. Um, I, You know, this is a great game. If you ever get the chance, this is the time to do it. Do it as, you know, there's more daylight uh, during the summertime. Go you know, leave work a little bit early, you know, book nine holes, go out, just walk the courses, get used, you know, just take a chance, learn the game. I guarantee you, you'll be hooked the first time that you make that, that your first par, and then you'll want the birdie, and then the next time, you, you next thing you know, you'll be getting new clubs and customizing, and it's just a great game to learn and share with your friends. You can play it forever. You, it doesn't matter if you've got a bum knee or a bad back. You can you can still go out and play, and um, it's just a game to share with your friends and family. So uh, thank you, thanks again to all the listeners who are making this one of the more well-listened-to uh, podcast topics. So thanks, Mike. All right, Dan. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. All right, and that was Dan Martini on the U.S. Open. That event begins on Thursday. Coverage on Fox, Fox Sports 1. We will see if Dan's right about Brooks Kepka repeating for a third year in a row at the U.S. Open. Up next, a half baseball beat because Anthony could not join us. Will Schneiderhand is coming back in. We are going into the baseball beat right after this. All right, we are back for the Baseball Beat Subway Series edition. Mike Phillips back here. Will Schneider is back in the studio. Unfortunately, Anthony Sorbley could not join us today. Life happens, but he'll be back on the next time we do this. Will, welcome back. How was your break? Yeah, good. Got yeah. some water. Yeah. We can yeah. hold over the hold the coughs. So. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Now, you real quick before we move on from the golf, do you have a prediction for the U.S. Open this weekend? <laughs> no. <laughs> Honestly, no. Just say Brooks Kepka. Okay. Hey, I heard he's doing well. I yeah. saw he's doing well. He's yeah. been hot. So yeah, I'll go Kepka. Ride yeah. the hot hand. Yeah, he's won two in a row. He won a third. <laughs> yeah, I've heard he's been crushing it. So yeah. from yeah. what I've moderately seen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that was Will's golf take. Yeah. Don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go bet on it, but. <laughs> Okay, so let's go to the baseball real quick. Now we go to the Subway Series. There's supposed to be a two-game set over two days. We were recording on Monday night. The game just got postponed because of the weather. The Yankees decided to open the gates, collect as many hot dog and ticket sales as they could, but they wiped it out. The game will be made up to probably doubleheader tomorrow, split in mission, one at 1 o'clock, one at 7 o'clock. So all your Subway Series fix will be in one day. So have fun with that. <laughs> It'll be interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> So let's now we're here. Let's check on the locals real quick. Let's start with the Yankees, who 
are in first place, but they have stumbled a little bit. They've dropped five of the last seven games, went on a two and four road trip, dropped series in Toronto and Cleveland, and but they are getting healthier. DD came back over the weekend. We are judged might start rehab game soon. Are they heading in the right direction or the wrong direction? Do you think? I think it, <clears throat> I think from a fan's perspective, you're frustrated because they're losing, right? So they're going to say this is the wrong direction. Yeah. But I just think it's coming back down to earth, yeah. right? What they had been doing with this team was unbelievable. I, I think it's unfair to say yeah. that 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 was even the right direction. They played well while hurt. Now guys are <laughs> I think you're kind of seeing that specifically in the bullpen and the pitching. Um, I don't want I wouldn't say they're in the right or wrong direction. I just think they're riding the ship, right? Um, and hopefully, like you said, it's great that DD's back, even though he had that costly um, error the other day. Um, and, you know, Judge comes back. Not that he's coming back, you know, within a week or two, but um, I think in that sense they're going in the right direction. You're getting Judge back. You got DD back. Um, but as far as playing on the field, it's just guys coming back down to earth, and it's kind of getting into that, you know, that time where it's like, all right, now we need the, the big guns to come back. Yeah, remember last time Anthony was here, we were talking about how the Yankees need to start right of the storm. They basically went on one thirty of forty games. Yeah. So I mean, hey, now that's weathering it. Yeah, <laughs> you built a nice cushion, so like, yeah, you're gonna even though they sort of slipped a little bit and they're coming back to the pack a little bit. You know what? They're still forty and twenty four. Yeah, and, there's no room to. Con- you're not con- you're not losing sleep yet, not no. one bit. <laughs> and you know that you have John Carl Stanton on the man. You have Aaron Judge coming back soon. That you just. I mean, yes, Domingo Herman went on, went on the disabled list, but you still have pitching on the way. You can still trade for more pitching. So, no, yeah, there, there's there, so there, many things. You are fine Yankee fans. Yes. You yes. have nothing to worry about. No, yeah, like I said, don't, they'll call into the WFAN and make a fuss about it, but realistically, take a step back, take a deep breath, yeah. you're fine. And they still have another 16 games with the Toronto Blue Jays, so they will win most of those. Eh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and let's go to the Mets now, who they have been stumbling along for a little bit now. Good week last week, went four out of six at home, so... They come into this series 32 and 33, a game under the 500 mark. They still have some missing some guys. Robinson Cano got hurt again. He's back on the DL, IL, whatever stupid thing they're yeah. calling it now. <laughs> Brandon Nimmo is hurt. He's on his way on the men. Justin Wilson's on the men. But do you think they're going the right direction or the wrong direction? I think definitely the right direction. Um, just because what are they 12 and eight since the endorsement of Mickey Callaway? I think they yep. said, which isn't bad. Hey, I'll take that for what this team has been and been up and down and such. And I do think they're in the right direction as far as Syndergaard has been a little bit better, right? He's, yeah. he's been pitching deeper into games. He looks a little bit more confident, but I'm, I just, I'd like, I you know what, one more start and I'll be back with, you know, a little bit more sold on it. DeGrom has been better. The staff in general has been much better, specifically the man who was supposed to go tonight, who everybody couldn't, was the about, ace. <laughs> who was about to throw him <laughs> overboard a few months ago, uh, Jason Vargas. But I think you're getting. I think you're getting. They're going in the right direction. Um, I think offensively. Hey, Todd Frazier, another guy who two months ago I was about to get rid of him. He's been decent, been good this past thirty games. I think he's hitting around two ninety. Um, you know, Ahmed Rosario's hot and cold, but I think realistically they're in the right direction. They're going the right way. They're winning ball games. Their bullpen still needs help. Mickey Callaway still cannot in game manage. But hey, you're winning games. You're scoring runs. You're not giving up too many runs and. You know, I, I think get over 500 this week, please, and you know, and 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 it'll fully be back in the right direction. Yeah, number one on Jason Vargas. I'm, last week when he threw the shutout, wow, I almost fell over. This is this is really what I was what I was basically telling the world when it was going on. I'm like, what happened here? Like he he's tossing five hit shutouts now, and he I mean, <laughs> I've never. It was crazy because. 
It's kind of crazy what confidence does, huh? I mean, he was on the mound. He yeah. demanded the mound. He was up there throwing strikes, and he was really damn good. And He threw 117 pitches. I mean, hey, you got to do that every once in a while to stabilize the bullpen and wear it for your team, and he did a great job of doing that, pitching to like a 3-5-7. And, you know, there's a lot of things they've been doing well. And, and uh, again, though, this is, just per- this is the perfect time for them to trend drastically down, as we've seen. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, take it one game at a time. Tomorrow's a big day. Two games against a good ball club. We'll see. So, yeah, you know, a wise man once said, "You don't sweep doubleheaders. You never, you never do. You so, never do. if you sweep, if you split the doubleheader, I think it's a good day for both teams." Yeah, and, and I just I like the direction. I like the way they've been playing, and and I just wish everybody would get hot more at the same time. You know, Pete's been a little cold recently, but he's still hitting homers when he needs to. Conforto, you know, the list goes on. But hey, you're winning games, like I said, and I can't complain about that. Plus, you're still getting contributions from the deck depth guys like Batflip King or Danny Hatcheria. Yeah, <laughs> hey, uh, and you know, and another guy who who has been really hot, just going back, who Wilson Ramos has yeah. turned it around. Um, but yeah, Echeverria, Carlos Gomez will hit a homer every once in a while. I've been actually surprised at how decently he's played center field for a guy his age. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, it's a, it, it's kind of weird, right? Like the team, like I, you don't really feel good about it, but you don't feel bad about it and you're just hoping for the best and um yeah i I think they're trending the right way and i'm excited for what this week brings and that's either it's probably you know the typical mets optimism that i'll be mad about on friday (laughs) yeah well by this time in two weeks might be cursing mets out again but we'll get to that point but (laughs) yeah now we actually have some more breaking news nationally that the last two big frees on the board (laughs) they have finally found contracts post draft (laughs) yep Start with Craig Kimbrell, three years, $43 million to the Cubs. I think it's a good move for the Cubs. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still, you look at it and it's you're kind of it's a big number, right? But it, hey, 43 for three years for an elite level closer, yeah. that's big. That's fantastic. And they needed that. That bullpen has been, I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know the numbers, but I don't think it's been good. Um, you get a guy at the back end of a game that you know is going to be able to come in, pitch, shut it down. Uh, you know, he's one of the, he's a modern day, our modern day Mariano in a sense, where he's pretty much the closest thing to a sure thing we have seen. Um, and yeah, you get him, you you lock him in, and and you, you put him in. And what I like about it is you're you're getting him for more than one year. Yeah, yeah, you get him for three, which yeah. means, and they were basically running out like uh, army of relievers, basically closer by words and stuff like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it makes you wonder why the Red Sox didn't feel the need to go get him back because their bullpen could use him badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but I do, I like the move a lot. Yeah, the other one move, Dallas Keuchel, one year deal to the Braves, slightly more than the prorated qualifying offer. He's gonna probably head down to the minors, stretch out again, be in the position probably for one of the two Mets series they play over the next couple of weeks. So, I think. I'm not sure about this one. I get it's a one-year deal. I get that there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal, but, like, he has not pitched competitively since October. Like, what are you actually going to get out of him? Yeah, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. Like, my support for it is because it's one year, you know, whatever, and the Braves have kind of built themselves on, like, these short-term deals where it's like, if it doesn't work out, whatever, we got all these, you know, loaded farm system. But, yeah, I mean, this guy could very well not be up for another month, right, another two weeks, three weeks maybe. And when he does come up, he's a guy who, you know, pitches the contact, low-velocity pitcher who, when he's bad, he's really, really, really bad. And, um, you know, I think it's the I think it kind of signals what the Braves are about still, where it's like throw crap against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 
Uh, what with him, he doesn't really move the needle. I think he moves the needle for a club like the Yankees, or, or he would have, like you know, if he goes there, he would have been a fifth guy for the Braves. I think you're looking at him to be kind of a frontline guy, which I don't think he is. Um, so yeah, you know, take the risk, see what happens. But playing in those ballparks, specifically in Atlanta, where the ball jumps, and yeah. you know, hey. He could get a lot of homers down there. A lot. And then, yeah. like we said, Philly, you go to Citizens Bank. Um, I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of a – see, like with Kimbrell, it's different. Like, I feel like that's a guy with a relief pitcher can pick it up and get it. You know, it's all – with closing pitching, it's more instinct, you know, like yeah, you getting have, it in that moment. Yeah, you have to have that adrenaline. Yeah. You have to get in there and say, you know what, I want the ball. Exa- I want to shut the team exactly. down. Exactly. And his stuff is still disgusting, even yeah. with that postseason run where he kind of – Ran out of gas, but Dallas Keuchel is uh, – he is what he is. Not moving the needle for me. Yeah, so we'll see. Are you surprised the Yankees did not go harder for him? No, I really am. Yeah. So, like I said it, I got, for him – because, you know – and it's funny, I, I kind of – I said the Yankees are going in the right direction. Is I think one of the faults of Brian Cashman was buying into the Domingo Herman start where, like, yeah, you know, he was – I mean, he was never a, what, 9-1 and one sub-2 guy for a little bit. I mean, he was never going to do that the whole year. Yeah. He's he's a good pitcher, don't get me wrong, but buying into the idea that this is a guy you can rely on – and look at him, he just got hurt. You know, he, he had a few clunkers here and there. So, to me, it was like, why would you not get a guy like Dallas Keuchel who in two weeks or three weeks he can come up, stabilize that back end of the rotation? And, you know, for them doing it, it makes more sense in my opinion because, like, again, they're going to need a guy like that in the postseason and down the stretch. For Atlanta, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Atlanta, it's like he needs to be really good for him to have a big effect. Yeah, plus the thing that bothers me if they, I'm a Yankee fan is the fact that I had I know his contract structure was weird. I had Gio Gonzalez in my organization. I could have had him called up. I could have had him on my roster. And he's pitching well. He's pitching well in that for the Brewers. And like that would be a guy that literally would just cost you money. Now you got to get up prospects to go get somebody. Yeah, see, I don't like that too. The willing see, I don't that's what I don't get. The like oh like the willing the willingness just to be like, oh, whatever, Stefan Florio, Clint Fraser, let's package him and send him out. Like I get the idea that like you might not need them, but still, I don't know. The idea of like they need him this year. Clint Frazier's been playing a big role this exactly. year. Exactly. And and the only guy that you're getting at the deadline who makes a big enough difference is Max Scherzer. I don't yeah. even think Madison Bumgarner is on that same level. Yeah, I mean, Anthony McCarron was here last week on the podcast. He warned Yankee fans. He said, I, I know you all want Bumgarner. I know you all look at the postseason and say, wow, this guy's amazing. He's yeah. going to win game seven every single round. But you know what? He has not been that guy for the most part for a couple of years now. It's just the, the innings are starting to catch up to him. Yeah, and I, Max Scherzer, listen, if you're sending those, whatever. If it's Max Scherzer, a guy who you're having a more than just, it's more than a rental. Yep. But still, that's a big, 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 money-wise and prospect-wise, that's a lot to give up. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's probably a topic for another day. But, yeah, I, if, if I'm them, I'm a little upset that, hey, we passed on Keiko, let's trade the farm. Yeah, that one would bother me. I would expect them to be in the mix for guys like Bumgarner and uh, Scherzer at the deadline. But, like, they had plenty of chances to upgrade their rotation. They could have just paid the money for Keuchel. They didn't do it. They had Gio Gonzalez in the, yep. in the farm system with the pitching well and being ready to call up. They did not do it. And I thought that was a calculated risk they took since they have a, a team full of injury-prone pitchers like CC and James Paxton. Tanaka. Tanaka's had his issues. Yeah. And, and like, you know what? Now they got to pay for it. They're going to get somebody. It's a matter of who it is and how much it costs them. Yeah. And it could either go one way or the other. Okay. Let's go a little rapid fire here. Let's do some quick hits because we haven't really touched on the whole state of the league in a little while on this podcast. So, biggest surprise team at this point of the season. I'll let you go first on this one. Oh, 
the Twinkies. Your Twinkies. <laughs> yep, Minnesota Twins. Uh, thought they were going to be good, but I did not think they were going to be hit the cover off the baseball, pitch really well. We're a very good baseball team. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah they just smash homers like nobody's business. You see the Cruz yeah. bat flip last yeah. night, I yeah. think it yeah. was. Hey, I that I yeah. love that team. Hey, <laughs> Talk I'm, about unreal. Uh, sorry, not to cut you off, but like one-year deals and stuff that have worked out. <laughs> the Twins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like... I am in first place in my fantasy baseball league. Two of the key guys on that team, Eddie Rosario, Eddie, yep. Byron Buxton. Hey, Bucks, that, yeah. and he's been huge. Yeah. And I'm happy for him to finally turn it around. Yeah, I love that team. Another one I think is a big surprise. I don't think it's getting enough credit, Texas. I was about to say the Rangers. The Rangers, I, I took them in my overrunners with my buddy Phil. Like I said, this number seems too low. They did a lot of these good one-year deals, and... They're coming in over five hundred. They're right in the hunt for that second wild card spot. I was gonna, and, I was gonna say them honestly. I was thinking about it. Texas has been really good, and they play in a weak division. So like, they get lots of games against the Mariners, who yeah. basically have not won anything since they started thirteen and two. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, they fall off the face of the earth. They fell off the face of the earth, and they started dumping everybody left and right. Jay Bruce, yeah. And Texas, I think they're gonna be there the whole year. I think they might. They're gonna the, the over number under number was like like seventy one. They're gonna blow by that, and, and they're gonna basically be in the wild card hunt. And, well, because they've hit well. Yeah, I think they've pitched pretty well. I, I think. I mean, they have a Cy Young candidate in Mike Miner, yeah. and they have a legitimate MVP candidate and a guy who just you know decided, hey, a few singles here and there, it's all right. Yeah. And Joey Gallo and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, Mister Three True Outcomes. <laughs> yeah, and he's and it's crazy because he's taking more walks and he's hitting for like a little, you know, hey, maybe uh, two strikes. Let's hit it the other way every once in a while. Yeah, he said, you know what? <laughs> maybe two thirties better than two ten. Yeah, and, and it's been fun to watch. Yeah. They got an interesting band of guys down there, and they yeah, they and they talk about a band box. Yeah, <laughs> you better be careful okay. pitching to that park. Okay, I'm gonna go with go the other way now. I'll go with disappointing teams. I'm gonna go with the obvious one, which is the Nationals. Yep, because they just. Again, like everybody bought into, I think we all on this podcast said they were going to win this division going into the season that we thought they would go far. I think, I think you and I took them to go to the World Series. Yeah, we I had them winning it. Yeah, <laughs> I had them losing to the, to the uh, Astros, but I thought that the Bryce Harper side effect was real, and then their bullpen is just such a dumpster fire. Yeah. And I know like, they played a little bit better, but still nothing to what they should be. No, like they have too much talent on that team to be under five hundred and be like in fourth place in the National League. Oh yeah, for no, I no doubt about it. And again, it goes back to I think the state of Magic is division is just the managers are all so so bad, and oh, Dave Martinez right up there. It's it's almost <laughs> comically bad where it's like they're one upping each other. It's yeah. like and the best manager probably manages the worst team. Yeah, yeah, Don Mattingly is the best manager <laughs> in that division. Yeah, easily. And it's like God, Dave, I mean Dave Martinez when we played when they played the Mets a few weeks ago. Yeah, just the going to the bullpen so often and just yeah. it never worked. I was like, this guy's in over his head. Yeah, I feel like for poor Sean Doolittle, the one guy out there can actually get out. Getting overworked because they need to need him to get guys out. You would have to think yeah. he's a big trade deadline yeah. candidate. Oh yeah, he definitely is. Let's go to the the player direction. What's the biggest? Do you have a actually before I move on? Do you have a surprise disappointing team besides the Nationals? I kind of uh, so tied for. I have two teams tied for for uh, the Cardinals. Yeah, one game under. Up and down. I thought they'd be a little bit better in that NL Central. And then the Rockies, albeit I know the Rockies have played a lot better lately. Yeah, but that was another team where I thought, hey, they might really be able to play at least. A little bit with the Dodgers, but yeah. no, the Dodgers have been on freaking believable. <laughs> yeah, the Dodgers are really good. Defense of the Rocks, I mean, they had a really crappy start. I think they went like three and twelve the first yeah. fifteen games. And, and, and story won- stories yeah. got hot. Arenado's got hot. Their pitching's been a bit better. So yeah, it's you know it's one of those teams that that's coming back around. And the Cardinals coming to City Field this weekend for the Mets. So the Mets, I know you're coming back. 
you need to win three out of four yeah. against that team. They're they're kind of like a very miserable team right yeah. now. And then Goldschmidt going there hasn't really had the impact that I thought he'd have. Yeah, plus the Mets are at home, and they've quietly become very good at home. Yeah, finally they've won at home after, what, how many years in that ballpark is it now? Oh nine they opened it? Yeah. Coming on 10 years? Get to see 11. <laughs> it's 11, or 11 two, yeah, yeah. And they've only had, I think, like two two or three years they've had winning records in City Field. Yeah. No, yeah, it's yeah. insane. They usually yeah. don't even score there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but they found ways to win at home now. So split there, go three out of four, go four and two for the week. Go leave leave town over five hundred. See what happens then. Yep. All right, let's go to the player side. So your biggest surprise for the players, uh, Josh Bell. Yeah, I think it's an easy one. Um, just because for a, he was always a big prospect, right? You always knew about this big guy, but he left so much to be desired. Those like first seasons. I know his first year was all right. Last year, I don't think he was any good. Now he's become that switch hitting just. Big hoss in the middle of the yeah. lineup, and he's been fun to watch. Another legitimate MVP candidate, hitting homers, driving in runs. You know, yeah. he's been great. Yeah, the NL MVP race is fascinating with him, Cody Bellinger, and Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich, yeah, yeah. It's, it, undoubtedly the top three players in yeah. probably all of baseball right now. Yeah, yeah Josh Bell, the guy I had in fantasy last year, and he did nothing for me. I picked, this, uh, I picked him up this year right uh, when he got hot. Smart man. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So uh, he's one that I like, and I will go back again to the Byron Buxton well for yeah. me because like. He was such a disappointment last year. I mean, he was hitting under 200. His, his whole career, basically. They, yeah, they, I mean, they refused to call him up in September, in September he was because, pissed. Because, he, because they wanted to extend the service time. You know, yeah. Why are we wasting our energy on him when he's, not, when he's doing nothing this year? So he's come back. He's hitting in the 270s. He's already got, like, 12 homers and, like, dozen stolen bases. He's going to be a 2020 guy this year at least. And, like, he plays excellent defense. He's been a big key to the Twins. No, it's huge. And, and, and when you get a guy like that going, you see what it happens, right? Yeah. And that's a guy you get on. He's going to score a bunch of runs for the b- big boppers in that lineup. And I, I definitely would agree. He's been a very pleasant surprise. I, yeah, I think everybody either was about to or already had just you know wrote him off. Yeah. Let's go to the disappointment side. I'm going to go first here. All right. I'm going to go to the Mets. I'm going to go to the big $240 million man, Mr. Cano. I mean – we have hit the point where Adani Echevarria has more home runs and RBIs than Robinson Cano. That's a big problem. Yeah, the non – what did Adani say? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a power hitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's got, five, what, five homers and like 15 RBIs? Oh, he's been unreal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Robinson Cano is stuck at 3-13. and 13. And granted, he's been hurt, but even when he was on the field, he wasn't doing much. No, he just looked – Honestly, he looked checked out. Yeah. He didn't even look like he was into the game yeah. when he was playing. Um, but yeah, it's tough to say has anybody else been a bigger disappointment when you yeah. trade what you traded to get him? Yeah, you know. And you have Jared Kalenic down and getting promoted to sing to high A ball, and he's like basically crushing the baseball everywhere he goes. And you hear scouts saying this guy's gonna be a star. I don't know why the Mets traded him. And you're like, Pe- okay, <laughs> people have said Mike Trout in the same sentence as him. If that's the case, oh. Yeah. That might go down as one of the worst trades in Mets history. Yeah, and they've had a bunch of them. Yeah, right up there with Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. Yes. That, that might be number three you know, if if if, if uh, Kalanick turns into Mike Trout. Yeah, the, the guy I picked for that, I'm staying in the same division. Yeah, I think you know where this is going to go. Yeah, Bryce Harper. Yeah, I have, yeah Dan. Like Dan who was on before owns Bryce Harper in my fantasy league. He called me last night. He's like, I'm so disappointed in Bryce because all he's just low average. Not a lot of homers, not a lot of RBIs. Like, what am I getting from I'm, I'm looking at it right now. 250, 251, 11, and 44. That's not what you're paying $30 million a year for. No, and and I know the Philly, they've been able to win in spite of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hey, that's not what you got, what you paid for. Um, honestly, you 
you were paying for that one 2015 season anyway where everybody kept saying keeps yep. going back to that. And I mean, that's kind of what he's been. He's been yep. a middle-of-the-road hitter, and, and I think it's disappointing because you're – I think Machado has fared a little bit better um, out in San Diego. Uh, I don't think much better, though, offensively. Um, but, yeah, I – yeah, yeah, but Machado also had the problem where he was switching leagues, where he had, yeah. where he like he, he had half season in the NL, and he's now still he's, a stellar defensive yeah. player. Um, where Harper, hey Harper, hey. Harper stayed in the same division, went to a better ballpark. He's not producing more. He was hovering around yeah. like two twenty for yeah. a while yeah. too. He's punching out a lot. I think that's a big. If I'm a Phillies fan, I'm happy I'm winning, but I'm disappointed that this guy isn't this MVP player I thought I was getting. And you have him for twelve more years after yeah. this. So Buckle up. This could be a long <laughs> end of that contract. Oh, vicious. Yeah. All right. Last thing. Look, the All Star game is coming up soon. I believe less than a month from today, we're going to have All Star game. Yeah, so, ten, yeah. So let's go to the local teams here. Let's just predict how many All Stars they get. We'll start with the Yankees first. That's a more interesting question. How many do you think? <sighs> you know, I really thought Herman was going to sneak into it. Yeah, uh, or sneak onto it, I should say. Uh, but I do think Torres might get it. Get the nod. I think Sanchez might get it too. Yeah, I think Sanchez is more legitimate than Torres. Um, but I don't think there's going to be a ton. I think Chapman, like, I feel like the closer is always kind of like, you know, like, I feel like they're always in it somehow. Yeah. Um, but the Yankees, it is interesting because you're not going to put, like, Gio Urshela on the All-Star team, are you? Yeah. No. I look, the update came out today of the first voting results, and they had two guys leading their positions, Gary Sanchez and Luke Voigt at first base. So Voigt, really? I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, remember, they have the new rule now where it's the top three go to the election oh, day. The, yeah, you're right, you're right. So it's not like Luke Voigt winning the vote. He's going to get yeah. him the, the thing. He has to win again on election day, which is, again, very dumb. Like, I think Sanchez definitely, yeah. though, right? Sanchez yeah. going. I, yeah. I would say Sanchez going, Glaber Torres going, probably somebody out of that bullpen, whether it's Chapman or probably Adam Adovino yeah. would probably be another strong candidate. Yep, yep. And her mom would have been in the mix, but I think him being hurt. Hurt was, and kind of tailing off. I think he's out of the mix. The Mets... Very, I think it's very simple. There's one. There's one. Yep. Pete Alonso. Yep. Definitely Pete. Um, and who knows if like Degrom? Um, pitchers are different though. Like starting pitchers, they don't vote for the starting pitchers, right? Don't no, the, the that's team. all. That's all teams. Yeah. So like maybe if Degrom has a hot month, he can sneak into it. But and maybe Edwin has a, has an argument. But still, the problem with Edwin is that there's so many closers in the NL who are good. No, you're right. Great years. You have Josh Hader. You have the guy in the Padres, Kirby Yates. Kirby Yates. Yep. Yep. And. You're going to run into the problem where some terrible team needs a representative and they got to take the closer from that terrible team. You're right. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. I didn't think it, but yeah, it's Pete. Alonzo would undoubtedly, I think. Yeah. The, the other one I think has the outside chance here. I think Jeff McNeil, just because he's hitting so well, he's hitting like 340 right now, I believe. Like, I could see players going like, oh, like McNeil's hitting 360. Like, he's hit, he's getting a lot of extra base hits. Yeah. I could see him getting in there, but again, he might run into the same problem where, like, they need to get a representative from the Marlins and need to take a second base from the Marlins, and then boom, there goes the deal spot. Yeah, that's very true too. I think that's fair. So again, not I'm not expecting a ton from the Mets. The Yankees, I think there'll be a couple more, but no, not a star-studded field like you usually get. You know, some years like in 06, you can kind of strike gold, and you got five from each club. Yeah, <laughs> I think your excitement is going to be Pete Alonso the home run derby. I think that's going to be your excitement if he does it right. I know you well, want. He, he's he kind of said it right. He's basically come out, but for him, it's a financial decision because yeah. he makes no money, and the winner gets a million bucks. So. You say, you know what, I could do that. Every Mets fan will, you know, oh, David Wright did it, and he didn't. Did, 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 did. Yeah, yeah, comparing David Wright to Pete Alonso yeah. is absurd. Though. Pete Alonso's got raw pop. And then, yeah. You know, he's not <laughs> yeah. he's not changing his swing. David, David Wright's a line, <laughs> jo- David yeah. Wright was a line <laughs> drive hitter. Yep. 
Pete Alonso is literally like the poster child of this era. Well, like, that home run he hit the other hit the other night when it was just extraordinarily high. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just like Pete Alonso in a nutshell. And he, and he gets legitimate bomb. This is not Todd Frazier flicking his wrist and having no, one over the fence yeah. the other day for the game-winning homer. Well, unfortunately, his pop reminds me a lot of Yoannis. Yeah, but, you know, like where they'll hit it into the third deck, and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, Yoannis fought run two, one two in his day. <laughs> yeah, he won. Yoannis won a derby back in the day. Yeah, he won a city field actually. I think. Yep, yep, he did. Yeah, well, Will, thanks again for all the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I love doing it. Yeah, before I let you go, I want everybody to know how to follow you on social media, some of the stuff you're up to. Oh uh, yeah, um, on Twitter uh, at Will S C H N E I D E R H one, and uh, yeah, just writing for Fan Sighted, doing some MVP updates, Cy Young updates for both NL and AL, and some football stuff. So yeah, get it on me. See it on my, uh, find it on my uh, Twitter. Yeah, so we got to check out the MVP one for the NL and see how you rank the Bell, Yelich, uh, Bellinger trio. Uh, I can give you a sneak peek. Yeah. Uh, I think for the last one, Bellinger was still first. I think Bell was third. I gave Yelich the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You can go see the other two. I don't remember who the other two are off the top of my head, I'll be honest. That's a tease. Go look for it. <laughs> yeah, seriously, please, for my benefit. <laughs> All right, that was Will Snyder here from the baseball beat. We will check back in again around the All-Star break, I think. That sounds good, right? Yeah, can't wait. We'll see if, you know, Pete Alonso is hitting taters in the derby. Yeah, Pete Alonso in the derby. That'll be fun. Hopefully Ant will be able to come with us this time. I'm sure it'll be a much better situation. Yep. So we'll get Ant next time. Up next, this week's two-minute drill. I'm going to break down the end of the French Open right after this. Chapter in this incredible tennis rivalry belongs again to Rafael Nadal. Only question is, is it the last episode of veteran Nadal at Roland Garros? Perfect six and zero against his longtime rival at the French Open. All right, we are back on the Just and the Suffering podcast. This week's two minute drill. We are going to wrap up the French Open here. Everything came to an end over the weekend. You just heard from NBC Sports. Rafael Nadal in the semifinals, beating his longtime rival, Roger Federer, went on to win the French Open again. We'll get to Rafa in a second. We'll start with the women's side, which there's not much to say here because the wipe out of the top seeds just kept on going. Last time I, th- I said I thought Sloane Stevens would win, she went out in the quarterfinals. Simona Howe, defending champion, out in the quarterfinals. Madison Keys, the, top, the other top American left, out in the quarterfinals. So who wins? Australian Ash Barty wins the French over her first career Grand Slam. The first Australian to win at Roland Garros since the great Margaret Court back in 1973. And real quick on Barty, she has an incredible story. I got to give credit to ESPN Simon Cambers. I found this on ESPN the other day. Barty was a rising star. She won the junior title at Wimbledon at age 15. She ends up quitting tennis three years later. She was struggling with depression. She goes out. She plays cricket. She re-energizes herself. Comes back in after 18 months. Uses her athleticism and intelligence. Because you remember, she's not a very big player. She's only 5'5". Five, five. And for a women's side, that's kind of small. So she ends up winning this whole thing. And good for her. It's a great story to see her just come back, make a statement, win the French Open. And it's going to be interesting to see how she carries the momentum of this forward into Wimbledon at the end of the month. Because, remember, again, won the junior title at Wimbledon. Is a very good grass court player. The top of the women's game, wide open right now. Roland Garros showed us this today. 
French Open show that the women's side is wide open. Barty, with her background on grass, could easily win another slam at Wimbledon in a couple of weeks. Men's side, we got the coronation of Rafael Nadal. Again, the numbers speak for themselves. He has won 12 French Open titles. 93-2 record at Roland Garros at the French Open. And he's won 59 clay court titles. That is the most all-time in every one of those categories. This man is the undisputed king of clay. And it will take a long, long time before anyone comes even close to any of those marks. The men's side was compelling, though. We had the four top seeds in the semifinals. We got some great matches. The Dolph Federer, a lot of fun. Credit to Roger for getting back that far. But he, again, ran to the buzzsaw of Nadal on clay. Goes out in straight sets. Again, Roger, we don't know if he'll ever get back this far again. He'll win other French. But credit to him, after four years not playing that event, getting back to semifinals against some very talented players, very, very impressive. The other side... Dominic Thiem, our top clay court player, not named Nadal, gets the final again. He ended Novak Djokovic's run of slam victories with a five-set thriller in the semi in the other semifinal. But the problem he ran into is that his match needed to play out over two days because Roland Garros is the only major that does not have a roof. So basically, the men's semifinals were scheduled for Friday. The Dahl Federer went first. The Dahl won in three sets. Djokovic and Thiem started after them. They got through two sets and were into the third before it started raining and they couldn't play anymore. They had to go the next day. They went another two and a half sets. Thiem wins. And on Sunday, so keep in mind, this is Dominic Thiem's third straight day playing matches. Third straight day. The doll had a day off in between. Thiem plays hard the first two sets. He even wins the second set. But he just runs out of gas at the end of that match. Loses one and one the last two sets. And there's nothing he can do here. Roland Garros needs a roof. Seriously. It impacted that final because Dominic Thien could have given him a run for his money. And he had nothing left in the tank after two sets. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to this tournament. It's not fair to the ticket-paying fans who spent a lot of money to get good at seats there. And they got less than their best because of this nonsense. This needs a roof. They've been saying for years they're going to put a roof over that venue. That needs to happen. This does take nothing away from the brilliance of Rafa, however. He is still the king of clay. That is undisputed. That will not be challenged another year. It won't be challenged for many more years after that. As far as what lies ahead with Wimbledon, it's going to be very interesting over there. Novak Djokovic is the defending champion there. He won last year. He played well at the French. He played very well. He got ran to a tougher opponent in theme, who is a better player on clay than he is. I think he's still got a good shot to defend here. Rafael Nadal's in top form right now is evidenced by his run at the French. And, of course, Roger Federer. He loves Wimbledon. It's his favorite surface. He hasn't won in a few years. You kind of get the sense he's due. And I'm going to get more into Wimbledon in a couple of weeks, but do not be shocked if Roger Federer is your Wimbledon champion in a couple of weeks. That would not be a surprise to me at all, and that would be a lot of fun. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Dan Martini for coming on to talk U.S. Open golf and Will Schneiderhand from the baseball beat to break down all the headlines, plus a little Jets talk at the top of the show. 
If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at whether or not the Nets are going all in with that Allen Crab trade, check out my blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Go look for the podcast on any of those platforms. Search for Just and the Suffering. You will find all the episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well in order to help make the show even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Tweet me with the hashtag right direction, wrong direction for the Mets of the Yankees. So if you like the Mets, say right direction Mets, wrong direction Mets. Yankees, you can say right direction Yankees, wrong direction Yankees. Either one works. Next week, we're going to get into the NBA a little bit. We'll break down the NBA Finals, Game 5 tonight. We're expecting to see if the Raptors close this out. KD's coming back. We'll see if that happens. Preview the NBA draft and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Warriors fans. <laughs>